Yo, is the mic on, mic? It's in that mic on, mic? And pour us another one. Let's do it right, though, mic. We feeling nice, though, mic. Gather round, gather round. It's in that mic on, mic. It's in that mic on, mic. Yeah, garage drinks with Mike. Woo! And um, so. No, the camera just back. us just talking. Eh? That's it. Um, and I didn't even ask you what you wanted to talk about. I just went yes yeah, because I just think whatever the message is that you're after, you just guide it and we'll just chat. Sure. Sweet as. Rob Mokaraka, welcome to my garage. Kia Thank ora. you for coming, brother. Thank you, brother Michael. Thanks, my bro. No worries, bro. Um, what's this? That is the beautiful Heineken Zero Zero. Kia ora. Kia ora. Have Zero. you ever tried it before? No. First time. First time. What it tastes like? It tastes pretty good for a yeah, non-alcoholic man. beer. I think it's the best non-alcoholic beer out there. Oh my goodness. It tastes like the real thing, it right? It tastes like the yeah, real yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. Zero, zero, making you look like a hero. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's, um, I think it's like 69 or something calories. It's pretty low in calories as well. Very good. So out of all the non-alcoholic beers, I think that's probably the best choice. Well, thanks. Now I know. Yeah, Thank bro. Thank you. Yeah, really Thank good you. summer beer. Good for barbecues mm. if you're driving. Yeah. But I got a few of those lined up, bro, so... <laughs> Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my brother. How's things, bro? Things are pretty good, eh? Uh, pr- pretty good. I just remember to be grateful to be alive and grateful for my two daughters and to be breathing. So, yeah. Awesome, bro. I'm really glad that you could make it. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Oh, bro, I've been watching a couple of your podcasts and because I've started my own, I'm actually trying to get some tips from watching you. And uh, oh. so, bro, and also just because we've got a, a, a long history and we haven't seen each other for a long time, it's just a pleasure to, to meet another man, another brother on, on a journey to help others. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm still an amateur at this, man. I'm just we fig- all are. figuring it out <laughs> as I go along. <laughs> um, but we go way back. Um, you, of course, are an actor. Um, and that's your primary background, is that right? I was, and now I'm suicide prevention mm. and mental health around Australasia. But yes, that's, that was my primary background. And you went to Toifakati many moons ago. Is no, right? no, no. Oh, no, I went to the country cousin version, um, <laughs> which was at Northland Polytechnic in Whangarei yes. at Drama. But I moved to Wellington, okay. which I thought was Hollywood. Okay. coming from Whangarei and that's where I met all these Toifakari Maori and Polynesian brothers and sisters yes yeah Northern Polytech yeah. yeah that still runs eh apparently it's still alive yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, I did a, I worked with uh, um, Brian something Divers like, Brian Divers from wow. Northern Polytech yes. we did a show He's about um, methamphetamine yeah uh, when I just came out of drama school and we toured Northland and we toured Wairarapa as well through the high schools beautiful uh, and that was a long time ago but that drug is still so prevalent today yeah and just the fact that um, there was awareness to do it way back in the day. Yeah. You know, we need more of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I invited you here because uh, I love your story. And um, I think it might be easiest if you start us off with how you came onto this journey. Because I know what you do now sort of day to day. And you talk about this a lot. Uh, but just for our listeners who aren't aware of your journey and what it is that you do now, do you want to take us back to how this all began? Oh, absolutely, brother. Um, so, yes, I, I have come from an acting and writing background. Um, and in 2009, I had a massive mental and spiritual breakdown. And I was in the storm of suicidal ideation. And in Point Chevalier, Auckland, I provoked the police to shoot me dead. 
I know this sounds full on to all the listeners out there. It was full on and it is full on. Um, and so on that day, I scared the police so much. I was acting erratic. I was dressed in a military uniform. I called them upon myself, by the way. You called the cops? I called them on myself. And this is all documented in my documentary, which is online on YouTube. And I say it in my theatre show slash seminars around Australasia. So I was in the storm of suicidal ideation. I was triggered from an emotional breakup. One of many. I didn't realise there was a long history of me right. doing this. And on this particular day, July 27th, 2009, I thought, that's it. I'm the biggest pile of crap that ever did live. Um this is terrible i need to get off the this this planet and the way i broke up with the, with the female that i was going out with is that i went and slept with another woman mm. just to really make sure that i was going to really crush this relationship right. it was really dangerous mentally because both of us were unwell so to speak no one was a bad person both of us just didn't have the tools just making that very clear there's no good guy bad guy here it's just a set of circumstances and so yeah, I scared the police, called them upon myself, I went out to the middle of the street, and they said, what's in the tea towel? I had a soup ladle dressed up in a tea towel, and they said, don't take another step. I'm also holding a meat cleaver, looking very crazy and irate, and they said, don't take the step. I took a step, and bang, I was shot in the chest around about here at close range. Uh, I'm supposed to be dead. 11 years ago from the doctor's reports and I've had multiple surgeries since then I've had multiple court cases and multiple therapies right so from that intense trauma of suicidal ideation from wanting to be dead and over seven years with a lot of help from our friends mm. in the arts and mm. entertainment I slowly did sporadic bursts of trying to stand up little pieces of writings mm. to make sense of this trauma that had gone through and seven years later I launched it in 2016 with the help of a lot of people to be in front of you right now mm. so yeah and you take this and it's a one-man show yeah it's a one-man show there's two of us who travel right. so there's myself and a sound technician the sound technician is always someone close to me mm. who's open to talking about mental health and well-being uh, i've got three friends i call upon but even more so they're my kaitiaki also meaning they're also my guardian to check in on my mental health right. along the journey right so you know we've got to walk it and talk it not just yeah. go hey man i'm mental health and i'm i'm, I'm cured it's like that's not my case yeah. my case is i'm still learning tools and sharing tools mm. and upgrading and it's great to share a conversation like we're having right now mm. with a brother in a safe space so 100 percent, 100 percent. i remember the day this happened it's etched in my mind i was sitting in another garage in sandringham working on a tv tele tv production uh, pacific beach street and we were sitting and we'd normally work in a garage on like a hot day actually it wasn't too hot but it's july but we were in the garage that day brainstorming stuff and i remember it popping up the news thing and i was like what what the fuck just happened yeah um but i'm pretty sure a lot of people in the arts community were pretty shocked by it leading up to it leading up to it can you try to um explain to me like what it was like being in the dark place that you were at that's interesting because one month earlier before the shooting, yeah. I was in London with my own theatre show, which I was the co-writer and co-actor of. Uh, and on the outside, it looked like Rob was living the dream. 
Robert cracked it. He's in London at the Soho Theatre with his mate Paolo Rotondo and Marco Pohatsu, the Soul Brothers. And I was actually swirling in that storm back then at the height, apparently, mm. of what the, my career looked like from the outside. And I didn't have the words to articulate myself as I do now. Right. Uh, and I'm, I could be sitting across the table with my good friend Paolo, just as we're sitting here now, mm. and I didn't know how to tell my best friend something's not right inside of me, and I don't know what to say. I just kept smiling, and we talked about everything else, or we argued about everything else yeah. as mates. And so, once again, it was looking great. We're exactly where we wanted to be at our career in London, and this storm is brewing, and I don't know what's wrong with me. And you could never talk to anyone outside about this. I didn't have the words, brother. Yeah. And also, I suppose it's been ingrained in me as a male that vulnerability is weakness. And if you ever speak about your vulnerabilities, you're useless. You're not a man. And so I suppose from society and culture and family, that's kind of been ingrained. Yeah. And I suppose suppose even though I'm an actor in the arts, I'm this male guy who does his theatre and sometimes some cinema stuff, it still wasn't really addressed in the arts or entertainment industry either. Right. So we're all doing this great fantastical acting and being channels that I'll call I'll call us being conduits more than mm. actors. We're we're channeling energies, people's stories, our own energies, our own way to our own spirit, our own hopes, dreams, thoughts and trauma into a character mm. but are we ever addressing it i don't think so and i know for a fact because i was in the industry that no one's really addressing it and so i suppose combined with my my upbringing which had some trauma in it which you can get to later and and the entertainment industry is like to be shiny but don't really talk about the core of what's mm. where did your amazing dramatic performance come from rob Hmm. I'm not sure if I want to ever tell you that because mm. A, I didn't have the words back in the day. Mm. That trauma and that dramatic acting was drawn upon my own trauma, mm. but I was never dealing with it. Mm. Such a such a crazy journey. Yeah, um, yeah. And for it's for it to culminate this. like that, and you've decided to sort of end your own life in that particular fashion, uh, because um, A, in all the ways to choose on how to end one's life, that is probably one of the most violent ways to do it. Um, but I also think um, the cry for help, your cry for help, was there ever like, did you ever have like a cry for help beforehand? That's a great question. Um, I, I was actually spiraling, spiraling before London as well. Mm. And somebody recognised that. And they asked this, because I was doing weekend tree planting, trying to really earth myself. Mm. And I was with this girlfriend I was with at the time. And... They, some people saw that it wasn't good so they got this Maori male sort of a matua, an elder to come and have chat to me and because I was deep in denial and it was so locked deep within caves within safes vaults I really didn't know how to articulate anything and this matua was really generous he said look boy I, I see something's not right and do you want to talk about it I said I'm sweet as I'm all good that's my catch to my go-to phrase and then he revealed some really deep stuff some trauma that happened to him Mm. in an attempt to try and help me but where i was at at that point in time was i was thinking why are you telling me this crap for Mm. that's not me that never happened to me 
What I didn't realize was he was trying to show vulnerability as a Maori male, as a parental figure to a young man swirling. Yeah. And I didn't know how to be open to him. Mm. And how old are you at this time when it happened? I was, bro, I was 35. 35. And at the time you had a little girl, is that right? Yep. My daughter was about four. Yes. At the time. She's 16 now. Right. I was just having lunch with her before I turned up. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy, bro. And you couldn't be here. Yeah. Like, if all this, if, if you got shot in the heart, you wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be having this conversation. You wouldn't be having lunch with your daughter. That's correct, bro. And, and my daughter would have had a thousand questions and a thousand stories. Feeling emotional now about yeah. um, why did her dad do that? Mm. And, and I, I've got two daughters, 16 and 9. And I tell both girls, dad is still going around the country and Australia to help others not be hurt like I was. So they can talk about their emotions and feelings and thoughts and angers and hurts in a safe space. And my daughter's like, they get it. Mm. They totally get it. They're just probably grateful their dad's not dead. 100%. 100%. I've been through stuff like what you talk about. I've done some stupid shit in the past. I've felt um, feelings of being in darkness. Yeah. Um, I've had times where I felt like I couldn't speak out. Yeah. that it wasn't available or that um, it was weak to speak out. Um, I've had friends that I have lost um, because they couldn't speak out and I've done stuff where they're not with us today. And so it was very important for me to have you on because the people that listen to this and who this goes out to um, and the message, the idea that two men can just sit in a garage, have a non-alcoholic beer and an alcoholic beer and talk about this freely is um, freeing and it normalizes it. Yeah. Um, so I understand that, like, so what you do now from it is you, you take the show around, it's a lot, around a lot of prisons, am I correct? Or is it communities? Communities, prisons, military bases, probation centers, organizations, whoever invites me. Yeah. And you do your, and I haven't seen the show, but um, describe to me what the show is about. The show is about my mental and spiritual breakdown, which is funny, dark, real, and educational it's from my lived experiences it was from the from the dark to the light to the dark to the light mm. and at the end of it i take people on an emotional journey people are laughing people are crying and in the end the greatest compliment i get from tough males is that shit was real bro and i've been there yeah. And that's the mass, that's a massive review <laughs> from yes. from really staunch tough males. Yeah. And um and I'm thinking great because I got the message through to get bypass your system, your security systems in your mind and just go to your heart mm. and all the answers are in the heart. Do you think it's a it's a culture here with New Zealand males or do you think it's guys across the world? Is it just a guy culture thing? This 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 thing about not being able to talk about or be vulnerable about how you're really feeling inside. I suppose each country has their own own way of being, but males in general, I feel... Have a stereotype. Have a stereotype, not just Māori, not just Polynesians, uh, because the, the audiences and the communities who turn up to my presentations are such a diversity of diverse range of cultures, mm. and they've all been through something. But there is something about this male thing, um, and it's not to... I've just read this article. It's like... Because the Western construct is also trying to declaw males, I'll use that. I'll use that word. Declaw. Declaw. I'll try to say feminize us to a point, so we can be civil to a point to be. So I go. That's through a Western lens, right? I say embrace your culture, 
embrace all the beauties and the and the heritage and because within our own cultures are our healing tools from our ancestors mm. and those have been suppressed a lot from whoever colonized us so look into our own fuck up up our own genealogy and we will find the tools to our own well-being of what helped our ancestors before us no, uh, does that make any? Make it a bit more detailed to me, please. Um, yeah. So, what what tools do you think they used to use? So the interesting thing. So I I just use Maori methodologies and because I'm having, I'm not just having wānanga and forums with with psychiatrists and college psychologists. I'm talking to Maori healers, Maori spiritual leaders, hmm. and so for instance, to use your own reo, your own language. Yes. Um, a matua from, from up north in Whangarei, well-known matua, he said, language wasn't thus just there to communicate. Our language was there to also heal us. So the vibration, so everything is vibration if you look at Albert Einstein. It's not just this airy very thought about energy. It's vibration and energy. So the power of using your own native language and the use of uh, sound and song mm. and music, waiata, the vibration of that, using that with karakia, with prayer, and ancient forms of songs and storytelling, there's something vibrational within that connects you to a spiritual heart and to your own homeland, even if you're living on the other side of the world. And that's only one tool. And then there's other methodologies, which is using the ocean as a cleanser and using karakia. And why? You, what's your intention when you're going, say, if you're going to the forest to release something, to cry, to laugh, to talk, to breathe, to sing it out into the light, using karakia, prayers, waiata, haka, whatever form of communication that our ancestors which inbuilt in our DNA. And to utilize that, because I think there's a mythology and a misinterpretation that, yes, our cultures were warrior races. Yes, they did these magnificent things and battles, but they were also healers. Our ancestors were also scientists. They were also, um, yeah, yeah, of course they were warriors. They were poets. They were, they were loving, caring fathers. We're women. We're wahine and tamariki children. We're treated like gods because they are the nurturers of the next generation. So we start to... From now I'm going to the corridor about mm. colonization. We start to unpack what was suppressed within us on the daily. Then you start to realize why we act. That co- the confusion between acting as who we are culturally and the confusion of wearing the uh, the korowai or the cloak of colonization, which has told us who we are. Right. So someone from the external has tried to tell us from the internal exactly who we are when they didn't have the actual real proper informational understanding of any of our cultural concepts. That whole um, colonization thing is pretty horrible, um, and what it's done to all the way till today, and still continues to happen through the systematic racism that yes. exists in our day-to-day lives. Um, it's pretty tough and pretty rough, and it, it's it's a mixture of ignorance, it's a mixture of um, arrogance sometimes as well. Um, but um, everything you've spoken about is beautiful. I love the um, I love your concepts of um, how our ancestors um, used those different types of different types of things to sort of um, 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 heal pain. themselves. Yeah. yeah. And there was a tikanga, there was a framework. So every culture has a, has a, has a, has a process. And, the, and, and I suppose in a Western way, you, you would call it a ceremony. Mm. And every culture will have a ceremony to dive into the sickness with you and to help try and bring you out. So there's something to be said about ceremony. Definitely. Definitely. So it so it means it's honouring a space yeah, about yeah. what we're about to enter into. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and creating spaces today as well for a lot of especially the guys around us um, is um, in the age of social media like you see it advertised a lot you know social media about um, being thankful being grateful um, mental well-being and stuff um, but I'm still surprised though that sometimes the closest guys to me um, that still don't talk about this sort of stuff um, I've had people message me um, about where they're at personally and stuff and there's people that I didn't even know were going through anything you know and so I'm pretty aware how prevalent it is and how it still exists in people's minds that they have to put up that mask or that front um, to be the man and not talk about this sort of stuff um, yeah it's um, it's pretty I guess it, it hits home it hits quite close to home when it's a lot of your close friends and close guys that you know that are going through things all the time yeah and it doesn't surprise me anymore brother right it doesn't surprise me whoever i get called from emailed from message from and um and it could be a friend of a friend you know lawyers judges elite elite athletes um someone like my uncle would mow the lawns at the school it doesn't matter what background what culture what spiritual belief or gender yeah. everybody is going through something it's just having the permission and a safe space to speak without judgment yeah um, the way you attempted suicide, which was quite a public way as well, I believe there were video cameras there as well. Oh, the so news like, were there. Yeah. I didn't know they were there. Right, right. It was a very public way. And after it happened, like um, like after you were in hospital, how did you feel? Like knowing that everyone was aware of what had happened, like were, were you feeling shame or were you feeling... Ex- yeah, explain to me like what that was like. Uh, good question, bro. Really good question because... Just to go from the beginning, I didn't realize there were TV cameras there. I was in the storm of suicidal ideation. So I like the sphere of storm around me, like in the circle. Right. Circular sphere. And I'm walking in the middle of the storm. So all I see is the police. I don't know if there's TV cameras. There was a TV camera eventually turned up. And I was on the news and it's all, it's all documented. And so when I was shot, all I was thinking about, oh God, I've made a terrible mistake and now the searing internal pain in my internal organs has overrode the pain in my head. And now it's gone from the head to like, oh my God, what the hell have I done? Where am I? What have I done? I suppose that's when the bubble sort of burst. And now I'm in a stark reality which is um, extremely traumatic for everybody involved, not just myself. So when I did awake in the hospital with my guts cut wide open, um... In extreme pain, I just, ah, and I went, looked around the room, and the first person I thought of was my dad, and I thought, I hope my dad doesn't know. That's the first thought, bro. And so family shame, we'll get into that. Family shame, I brought shame on the family. Oh my God, what's my dad going to say? And as a son uh, to a tough Māori male, and he's also an ex-war veteran from Vietnam, you know, you usually catch planes, not feelings, uh, from that generation. And, yeah, I did feel shame. I felt ashamed that I was still alive. I felt ashamed that people knew. And the, the flip side to that later on, that's the best thing that could happen to me because there's no more hiding. There's no more hiding from our family either. No. So in families, sometimes to protect each other or maybe to hide or mask it because they don't have the tools, there was no more of that. Because this wasn't the first attempt, brother. Okay. I, I tried to take my life a few times growing up and freaked my family out. 
And I really feel sorry for them because they didn't have the tools back then, nor did they have the tools in 2009. Right. So going through that, that sort of shame with your family, um, I can only imagine because that's a whole different level of pressure. Like I can imagine that you're in your own bubble of pressure, so to speak. You know, when you're in your sort of when you're in the like the suicidal spiral, let alone the pressure of your family added onto that, because now it's been publicised. You know, across the whole of New Zealand, everyone knows, and it's made the six o'clock news, and. What's the first steps in dealing with that? Well, the first steps is don't worry about your family. Worry about why are, why were you suicidal? Mm. The family will come around you later because if they actually genuinely care about you and genuinely love you as they say they do, first and foremost is you're good enough, you're worthy enough. Because when you are suicidal or you're at that point or you've been there, you think you're doing everyone a favour. You think that if I go, man, the family and my close mates, they're going to be so relieved. Exactly. And it's quite the opposite because that's the power of the storm of suicidal ideation. I give a Māori phrase. Some people call it a ngārara, which is also a monster or form of a demon or tanifa. And there are tanifa which are, which are there to help you as a guardian. And there's also tanifa that's come from a dark place which are not there to help you. Mm. So, And this goes into that spiritual talk using who's talking to you, your ancestors or or a dark entity or a tanifa and there's a confusion of how to filter that and learn to know where this voice is coming from or voices some people hear voices some people just it's just their thoughts on repeat mm. in a dark cycle yeah uh, such a lot to take on such a lot to take oh, on oh you're doing awesome I'm still like soaking this up too oh, as, as, as I'm sharing because some of these concepts are, I'm sharing for the first time right just right like this yes sometimes yes. i'm doing it a different way with a forum yeah. of 300 people or right. a forum of 20 people right so brother i'm i'm just checking myself as we're sharing at the same time no it sounds great i love the there's a lot of um metaphors that ring out really well um if we go back you talked before about family trauma and stuff that had happened when you were younger um do you feel like those things that happened when you were younger sort of set you in motion and to end up were you, you know, being suicidal? Yeah. And what sort of things, if you want to talk about them or not, had, did, did happen when you were younger? Oh, happy to talk about it, brother. So, and, and, you know, I love my family. I'm just going to put this straight out there. I love all my family. They were acting from, where, from the knowledge that they knew and right. from the trauma that they had. So I'm not out to get anyone. So growing up around social gatherings, our family, there was sporadic violence. Violence. Blood. Oops. See, I did violence too. (laughs) Let me put this back in, bro. Violence, see? (laughs) See, now this headset's going to need counselling, bro, after this. I'm sure it's going to get it for the session. (laughs) Sorry, headphones. Um, um, And so, you know, when you see some blood flying out of, of family members, when there's fights and scuffles, you start to think that's normal. And you're actually scared as a kid. Like I remember, as little cousins, me and my cousins were little. We were just scared. We were in horror from how did it turn from this great family occasion to um, uncles, aunties, families beating the shit out of each other. How did it turn from that? And then all loving much later on, and oh, we saw it. And then we we're all gathering again with some more alcohol. 
Mm. It's like some weird forgetful cycle or she'll be right, we got that shit out, we're good now. Mm. And I suppose because that was a learnt behaviour too. Mm. It's a learnt behaviour. Now I'm not saying that uh, that uh, Māori were peace-loving people all the time, but you bring alcohol into any culture, mm. uh, indigenous culture, and even, don't worry, the Western culture is still suffering from their own forms of it. Mm. It's that if you don't have the tools and taught and etiquette, a tikanga, a process, a ceremony of alcohol, you're just repeating what the other generations did. Mm. And so you're doing what you've been taught. And so by, by seeing that, I went, okay, that's affected me. So that's one section. So along my healing journey, I had to admit that I had three abortions growing up with two different wahine. So I was 15 the first time, and then I was 18 with the same wahine. And then the third time, I was 25 years of age. So those are three babies I've lost, and, and I blamed myself. I blamed myself. I was the biggest pile of crap shit whatever and I was still with them for a while but there's my, my own emotional maturity from my own traumas I didn't realize this is all in hindsight mm. I had no idea we were affecting that situation either mm. so once again we're hiding hiding the abortions hiding at the shame of the family hid it away from my family right. I didn't tell them until I had my next mental breakdown at my first massive mental breakdown when I was 21 years of age so when I was a psychiatric unit king seat I had to tell my parents this same thing I'm telling you in front of a psychiatrist. And it was hard. I cried and cried and cried. And so I've got that now. I've got three abortions just to accumulate from the mass trauma uh, of... Of all these things accumulating together, so from the from the violence, sporadic violence, not violence every day. I'm not saying it was every day, yeah, 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 but I'm yeah. saying it when it was. When it, it was, happen. it was like holy shit. And when you go to another person's house and you see the parents just arguing and talking it out, and no one gets hit, you think this is different. Mm. This is really different. So no one gets hit, and they could argue. Wow, uh, and it's confusing. Yes, I mean refreshing, but confusing. Yeah. And then, by, well, so in 2016, I launched Shop Pro. And as I'm like, yeah, I'm healing. I'm doing this great thing, helping communities. Another door from my past opens up. Right. And I go, what the hell is that door? And I literally, I'll be talking to you like this, and I would see a door open in the corner of my vision. Like, I was like, huh? The door's gone. Talking to you, the door turns up, turns up in my vision, and it's gone every time I look there. Literally. I, literally. I something spe- you can see. Yeah, I could see a door, and I was like, what the hell? I'm having another mental breakdown. Right. So I rang a couple of close friends, and I said, hey, man, this is what's happening to me. Blah, blah, blah. And a friend said, um, do you think it's something from your past coming up again? Because you are addressing your past. Do you think it's something from your past, something else? I went, maybe. Maybe I have to see a shrink. And I always thank Mike King because he shouted me his shrink mm. when I was touring ShopRo around Auckland. And I just had one session at that time, one session in general. And the cool thing was, once again, we're not related as, as therapist to client. Yes. And I just went, I'm having memories of someone else being molested so my mind was compartmentalizing things i was my mind was saying i was holding on to these memories for somebody and i was like how am i holding on to these message these these emotional trauma dreams and stuff well how you know that's how my mind was compartmentalizing yeah. so eventually i said it loudly to the shrink and he didn't solve my problems but the cool thing was i got it out into the ear yes 
uh, and I was still doing shop bro so I'm still unpacking and, yeah. uh, and then I, I shared this conversation with a cousin of mine first cousin yeah. like a real rangatira somebody I trust and love and and I went you know, I'm gonna maybe mention to my cousin I'm seeing a shrink again and I said look cuz this is going on I had to see a shrink and this is what unpacked I remembered being molested and and he dropped his head and he looked at me and he went not you too and I was like what what because I thought I was the only crazy person on the planet so I'm going I'm I'm, I'm unveiling and revealing stuff within myself was hidden because that's how trauma works yes it's sort of just your mind can compartmentalize it to save your life at that point in time and and unfortunately when it's not addressed it will come and surge up through multiple different negative avenues so when I said that to my cousin, his head dropped, and he repeated that to me. And I was like, what the hell? So all of a sudden, I'm not alone in the family. Mm. And then I start to unpack it more and more, very slowly. And I still am today. Right. But it's to make sure that no more cousins, nephews, or aunties, or uncles ever have to go through this for the next generation. So by I say this, I've said this in public forums, yeah. where my family have turned up. And no one said anything from the family in particular. The, the public has spoken. But later on, through different avenues, some cousins, male and female, with their kids go, thank you for speaking up for me. Thank you for being the voice, my cousin. And I didn't realize they too. And I said, I say this to them, and I'll say this to you as I say to everybody, regardless of culture. It's not your fault. We were kids. We were babies. And I look them in the eye. And I know it's hard to comprehend Mm. But sometimes perhaps they've never had someone say that to them. Mm. They're an adult now. They're supposed they're supposed to traditionally have this shit together by now. Mm. But if we haven't unpacked these hurts mm. and these traumas within our own culture and families, it's it's a difficult thing to address. There are many people walking around today that have been through a lot of trauma that's happened to them when they were children and they're either unaware of it or they've compartmentalized it and kept it hidden somewhere, or they refuse, they simply directly refuse to address it. And so they carry it with them. And it must be tough because it's a burden that's consistently on your back, but the way that burden affects you in your day-to-day life comes through in different forms, I guess, um, and puts pressure on either their relationships or them as a parent, how they parent their children, uh, shows up in such different ways. Um, so where you're at now right and looking back at everything that you've gone through um, do you feel do you feel a sense of peace (laughs) sometimes (laughs) (laughs) how's that for a question (laughs) that's a great question man you got me good Uh, and the the truth of the the matter is um, sometimes Mm. and and once one thing you thought you've dealt with something and you've unpacked it, you had a look about it, you've had a look at it and you've cried about it, spoken to people you trust, then something else comes up later on. And you go, oh, it's because all these tiny little doors. You got the big doors, and then there's sometimes these tiny little doors, or it starts with small doors and it leads to a big door. Mm. So it's just to go, okay, oh, what do I have, what do I have to deal with this time? Yeah. And then in the beginning of my journey, it's like, oh, really? Is there still more uh, shit I have to unpack? Yeah. I thought I clocked it. <laughs> I thought I clocked this game. I was like, oh, no. No, no, you didn't. Oh, what? You're still in the game. Totally, bro. Totally. And, um, and, and, and it's always scary at the beginning of the journey. Mm. 
because once again you've had to unlearn what you've been taught mm. which is the incorrect way to look at of vulnerability and hurt and then you have to relearn of how to relearn of figure out who you really are mm. underneath all that hurt so yeah it's just a ongoing journey i tell everybody it's an ongoing everywhere. journey all right. yeah and because i'll let you know and our viewers know mm. because we are goddamn worth it yeah. we are truly goddamn worth it 100 percent. yeah yeah um I was just thinking about your daughter because she was four years old when this happened and that would have been so confusing. She would not have known why you were in hospital or what had happened. I'm not sure to what degree her mother would have protected her or or what amount of information she would have given her about it. Um, But at a later age, did you properly explain everything to her and how it happened? Yeah, much later. Much later. Much. We wanted her just to be a kid. Right. Be a kid. No, she yeah. was loved. Yeah. So when 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 um, when I was shot because I provoked the police having my mental breakdown, she was just told Dad's very sick and he just needs lots of love and care. So I was in the hospital with a drip, all these drips, and I was hunched over because I was sewn up so tightly from the. I had multiple surgeries. I was trying to learn to walk together again, and having my beautiful daughter just hold my hand as if she's the parent. She's walking me around the ward so I could learn how to walk again properly. And when I think about it on those deep, beautiful, profound moments, that sometimes the kid has to be the adult for the adult. Yeah. And all kids ever think about is from the heart first. Mm. And. Yeah, I still remember my, my my daughter doing that for me. And later on, much later on, when I started to tour ShopRo, so it started in 2000, 2016, that's when we slowly more started to... First, Dad had depression. We, we started before that. Dad has depression. That's what depression right. is. I know what this depression is, Dad. I've read it up. I know all about it. How old was she then? 14. Right. But she sort of knew Dad had been ups and downs. Yeah. So now we're starting to get into... She would have heard too from maybe some close family f- friends that we trust or family members we trust. And then I said, you know, Dad's touring shop bro now? She goes, I know. Great. As if, what, what do we have to go on about this for? And then I said, you know, Dad was shot by the police as well at the same time. And it stopped her in her tracks. And she said, what? And I said, yeah, Dad's depression caused him to want to be shot by the police and it stopped there and I said that's why I'm going around helping people not get hurt like dad and I say crying is better than dying and she says why do you have to say that for dad and I said because my darling people think it's the other way around Mm. and it blew her mind like what Are are you serious dad and so our kids need to have this conversation sometimes with their parent and to this day, my 16-year-old never, ever wants to see shop, bro. Right. right. Um, and, and let me just tell our viewers and yourself, I had permission by her mother. So whatever I said, and I said it with the mother, this is how we'll handle the situation. And so it was a collective parenting, even though I'm not together with, mm. with her mother, mm. it was a collective parenting understanding of how to navigate this with our child when she does have questions later on. Mum, what about this? And Dad, how about that? So we're just creating a safe space but yeah it was big and I'll let me just share this extra part so the shop bro documentary was launched in June right. on Māori television and it's now also on YouTube through so it's global mm. accessible and I had to have another conversation with both my daughter's mums and say hey shop bro's coming out to the world mm. and I talk about being molested 
Mm. I'm just letting you know as parents, how are we going to navigate this with our kids? Just in case somebody, they ask us, or kids at school ask them, because they've got to yeah. go to school, right? That's right. And so it was a really beautiful conversation, a really honouring of the, of, the, of the love and care that we need for our kids. And it's been fine. Mm. I thought the world was going to end. Right. But we said in a very gentle way to my girl, she was at eight at the time, eight years of age, my youngest, who's nine, nine now. And to my big girl, I just said it straight out with her mother in the room. And she looked to her mother for like confirmation, like, are you sure this is a good thing, mum? Dad putting this out there to the world like that. And her mother just nodded in agreement. She said, it's a good thing. Dad's going to, she said, dad's going to help other people hurting. 100%. And so from a 16-year-old girl talking to her mum and dad in a room like we are and looking for confirmation and just trusting like, okay, dad, if you think that's a good thing. Mm. And I'm like, it's a good thing. That's amazing, Rob. I, I really um, commend you for um, everything that you've done and I, I sincerely mean that um, it takes it takes balls to like um, almost feel like you're standing going against the grain standing out and sharing stuff um, that I'm sure a lot of men have gone through or are thinking about or are holding inside but there's only a few I feel that are willing to like speak out about it and the more they speak out about it the more the more they generate that energy of being open with each other um, absolutely brother our men are worth so much yes they don't know it yeah they don't know it they feel worthless sometimes they get stuck into like relationships where they're caught up in their own mind they can't feel like they can talk to you their mates about what issues they're going through if they're misses and all this other stuff and then they isolate themselves and it becomes like a cloud that grows bigger and bigger. But they don't know that they're not alone. Yeah. They don't know that every other guys go through the same thing. And this is normal to feel, you know, to feel down sometimes. It's just like um, I train quite a bit and every now and then I get injured. You know what I mean? I can't train for a while or I've got to let that part heal. But I feel like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like um, your mental health is very similar. It goes through its ups and downs and how you maintain it and how you keep it healthy is really up to you yeah um, and it's in a lot of um, do you think it's in a lot of the information that you take in as well like uh, if you're scrolling through a lot of shit on social media like that can't be good for your mental health is no, that right no no the, the social media is a dark mm. black pit <laughs> it, we is go. The, it is the black hole of the solar system and you've got to what are your intentions to be on social media you know it's a soapbox right mm. I use social media mm. that's how I get around Australasia mm. um, but I look for it and I see heartache heartbreak world trauma mm. everywhere populations rape uh, genocide and you're like man these things impact us and we want we want to help save the world first person first save yourself yeah. save your goddamn self yeah. and when do you learn how to save yourself then start to help others and sometimes it's a dual thing you can help somebody and save yourself at the same time mm. and mm. in a sense like people go wow you're helping so many people around Australasia Rob they're helping me yes you know what the yeah. big secret is they're helping me yeah. by me sharing I'm learning from them yes yeah um, <laughs> what you were just saying about social media it's a little bit worrying isn't it because you and I grew up in a time where there was no technology where yeah. there was no and we saw that transition happen yeah. you know to now we both have cell phones and stuff but our children though on the other hand are growing up in a different world world this is normal and this is um this is like um part this is part of day-to-day -day life is having a cell phone as being you know being 
and amongst that internet, the internet world, the social media and everything. You can touch a bird, so you can move Thank it around you. if you need to. I just I remember the intergenerational trauma from this. <laughs> didn't wanna break didn't wanna break this one either. <laughs> gentle, gentle, don't break this. Just turned up. Um yeah, sorry, brother. Yeah. No, 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 you're you're good. But um yeah, I think our children are growing up in such a different world where all this social media is like is such a normal part of life, um, that it's gonna be part of, of how they grow up. And it's also part of like kind of like their future as well and how um, a lot of careers are changing now as well. A lot of jobs are changing because everything's more on the internet. And with COVID-19 hitting and making sure sometimes that people are locked down at home, um, it becomes even more important that people are contactable via the internet and stuff like that. Um, do you see, do you think that going forward, right, that this is a, a good thing or a bad thing for our mental health in general? <laughs> Well, I guess it depends on how it's used. It's how it's used. Yeah. And what's your intent? Yeah. What is your intent to jump on social media? Mm. Um, mine is to find, I'm scrolling through social media all the time. I'm looking like what people are doing nationally and globally, what cool ways, not the normal dry, archaic mm. construct of talking about mental health mm. and suicide prevention. I'm like, what a dynamic, cool ways. So I'm scrolling through a lot. So I, I go past the old, you know, America's on fire and I know it's on fire. I can't help them at this point in time. Unless they I don't hire, think anyone can. Unless they hire shot bro. <laughs> Confessions of a depressed bullet. America, I might be able to help. Um, but I'm just dealing with our people at the moment. <laughs> um... But yeah, uh, it does affect us. And once again, I'm going to go back to the word tikanga, process uh, um, and ceremony. So I was doing shop around Foxton and this uh, rangatira stood up and he had his 14-year-old daughter there. And um, she was there and so she watched shop the whole community. And he said, look, I accidentally picked my 14-year-old daughter's phone up and it was on and it had a text saying, hey baby, what are you up to? And he said, she's done nothing wrong. He, as a father, wanted to know who was calling his baby, baby. And then she... I understand. Then he went to his daughter. Loving dad, strong man. Mm. Um, he said, well, who's this? That's my boyfriend. How come I've never met him? And then he said to us as, as people in the community, so how many times has this boy been in my house? He held up the cell phone. And I've never met him. And what has he been saying to my baby? So once again, we go back to old school values. Parents meet the meet the meet the, the pending boyfriend or the pending girlfriend. Tr- traditional. Sit down, have a kite together, have a meal. Just get to know this young man, so he knows that he's not just dealing with the daughter; he's dealing with the family. Hundred percent. And so he was talking about there needs to be some sort of etiquette around social media in their home. Yeah, well, it comes down to um, how you. Um, parent it and how you monitor your children and their access to it yes because they are still children I think a lot of people start to forget that you know that they are still children and their minds even though they obviously develop at a faster rate these days because of technology but they are still children they still have needs that children need and wants that you know children's wants Um, but they have to be parented they have to be disciplined to some degree um, but know where the boundaries are if they don't have the boundaries, then yeah. what are you going to do? <laughs> and then, then you wonder why they start roaming, and then you wonder why these things start to fall apart. Uh, absolutely, there has to be there has to be boundaries, and um, and it has to be sat down as a family and discuss them around the table. I'll tell you a cool thing that uh, another family and some friends of mine have got about four kids, right? Live in Gisborne, and they came to shop bro, and they said, you know what we do, Rob? Every two weeks we sit around the the kitchen table, and everybody can put their grief and troubles onto the table without judgment. Is that right? 
So the father, who's a good friend of mine, and the mother, I love them dearly, they've got to sit there with their mouth shut mm. and hear their son or daughter go, you did this to me, and, and I did it, and you took this off me, and, blah, blah, and, and the parents are like, all I did was take it off you. But then they're listening to why they're upset or why they feel there's some grievance, and it's just listening to, to each other. That's pretty awesome. Without being authoritative, like, listen, young man, back in my day, it was a backhand, kick up the ass, yeah. what's your problem? Now it's like, hey, and I really, I was impressed by that. Yeah. So they just came. I'm impressed by that. So every two weeks, and then his, his little kids looked at me and was like, rolling her eyes going, yeah, every two weeks. Like, it wow. cracked me up, was like, which is a great thing. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and I suppose that's just another way to, to address it. Instead of like, hey, you shush your mouth, get up his lap, and then just carry on, I'm the boss. Which is just how we've been taught. So we can still enforce authority with more compassion and understanding. Yeah. Um, I just had a thought then, um, just going back to um, the violent way in which you chose to try to commit suicide. Yes. When you were in the spiral of wanting to take your life, why was it that was the way, that was the one way you chose? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect yeah. sense. And I address this in shop, right, in my show. Uh, it's So I'm spiraling out of control. Don't know which way is up or down. Feeling like the biggest crap in the world. And I think I deserve a violent death. That's how shit I am. It has to be a violent death. And then another thought came up. I've seen police growing up as a young boy shoot Māori on the news, right or wrong. This should be easy. I'm a Māori. And that's like, it was like all your memories from childhood flicker in like two seconds. And you just downloaded it and you remembered it. And now you're just going, cool, you're acting on it. So that's why. That's very disturbing. Yeah. It's very disturbing. What you just said there is a lot of Māori get shot on the street, which is a true fact. It's very, it's heartbreaking to hear that. It is, it is. And it's Māori and Polynesians. Mm. Uh, and there is like um, systemic racism. And, and, and it is try, it's just trying to address these old archaic policies and systems and freak out the, the constabulary, or not the constabulary, freak out, freak out the old school Governance, and we need to put more of a holistic healing methodologies around this. Tikanga, ceremony, restorative justice. We have to face the family and stuff so you can start to see like this person had family who cared about them and and then start to unpack that person's trauma who's in, say, he's gone to jail. Mm. Otherwise, that person who was to cause the trauma is going to cause more trauma mm. if we don't start to look at this more in a holistic uh, well-being methodology sure um, it obviously inspired like a massive um, passion within you to tell this to everyone how many shows do you do like a week like, oh it varies sometimes I might do three in a week right. then I might have like a week off yeah. then I might do is it exhausting because you're going to like such a um, raw place or such a place of um, trauma um, to try and get the, this message across because each audience has potentially never seen it before or heard about it before, but you're trying to take them on that journey very quickly. And as a one-man show, like you're carrying, you know what I mean? You're carrying a lot of um, these ideas by yourself as well. Is it, is it tiring? 
uh, it can become physically tiring because of the travel. Right. And, but there's two of us always traveling. Yes. And to me, to help heal, a, it takes a village to heal a village. Right. So I'm always collaborating with whoever invited me. They right. are my touchstone in that community. Mm. All right, cool. What's happening? Who else do you have around you? Mm. And so we're sharing it because I'm, I'm not the magical pill. Mm. I'm not the magical cure. We are. Every single person has got the answer with inside them. It's just, it's just collaborating and sharing ideas like how are we going to make this space safer? Mm. What other things do you think we need around us? And so my main job is just to hold the space. Right. So any troubles and trauma that comes out within the room that people share in a very safe space, I'm not there to hold their trouble. Right. I'm only there to hold the space. Right. And in the first year of Shopper, I didn't know that. So yes. I face-planted quite a few times, trying to do the show, hold the forum, hold the problems. Ah, ah, face, face-plant. And I was exhausted. Yes. I was That's exhausted. what I meant. Yeah. yeah. And I was physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. So over a period of time, my cousin Clint, who's come on the road with me, helped uh, frame uh, like a, a tikanga framework, a practical process, which is physical and spiritual and mental, of getting into the spaces and getting out. Yes. So having a defrag, a, a technique to defrag. So I have the, the the forum is one part of it, and then the food after every every presentation is food to ground. Every culture has food to ground themselves before and after a ceremony or before that. So using sort of these tikanga, these techniques from our ancestors, which is not just you know these are Pakia brothers and sisters. They've got these. Food is universal. So grounding, and once we get home, I have a hot shower. I have a food with my, my, my sound technician or my cousin, my friend, and we do a debrief about the day. And we do three highlights and one take home. So what are the three highlights we got out of today? And um, as you give the highlights, you can also address them all because it triggered this and it made me think of this. And that's why it was a highlight because it illuminated this old hurt. And then we use one take home. The take home after you boil it all down is have courage to speak from the heart when no one else does. Yes. And so when I'm going into prisons, maximum security prisons, some very scary people, which I make sure that that tikanga, that etiquette, is the same in prisons as well as communities. I'm going to do this forum, then we're going to eat and ground, and then we're going to talk. Mm. And I get these men to do the three highlights mm. and, and one take home. And a majority of them engage with the, with the etiquette that I've created from the moment I've stepped into, that, into their unit. So I suppose it's just mean firm of how you're going to frame it. Yeah. Know how to do it, yeah. implement it, walk it, talk it, and then show people how to do it, who you're collaborating with. Yes. You ever get any kickback at all from when, you're, when you are performing in prisons? What do you mean by that? I mean, any, any people ever react negatively to what you're... Because obviously what you're, um, the, what you're putting out there, um, not everyone's at potentially, not everyone's potentially a, um, a space where they're willing to take on... <laughs> Um, information or take on the process of healing um, potentially you've got people in there that are in quite strong denial do you ever do you get much kickback at all uh, well those places are scary in general yeah. but I, I'm going under no matter what culture I'm talking there Maori and Polynesians yeah. Pākehā, but we're going under a tikanga framework yes. so I ask for an I'll set up with my sound technician, I always ask for an hour and a half to two hours to set up. Then I say, I would like a mihi whakatau. So a mihi whakatau is an informal welcome mm. from the men in the unit to us. So we can cord it all back and forth. They can suss me out. We can suss out the energy or the waiter in the room. And we're acknowledging a very tapu space, a sacred space. I'm not just coming here to open up shit. 
I'm coming out to do it in a ceremonial way through tikanga and then I will open it up and I will close it on that tikanga framework. Now going back to hostile, let me tell you, the most hostile that ever happened with ShopRo is from my own cousin in a place, rural community, community presentation right. in a small rural community called Taneatua. So I met this cousin the first time that morning. I never knew we were related mm. through my mother. Mm. Big burly guy. Facial moko. Where's, where's Tane Atua? Tane Atua is near Fakatani. Yes. It's near there, very yes. small place. Yep. And um, anyway, get on like a house on fire. I, I say this in shop, bro, because that's part of my healing. And so we get on like a house on fire. So everybody's drinking alcohol before I'm even doing the show. I'm just warming up at the very small art gallery. And I'm like, oh, geez, but early cousins. I haven't even done the show. Okay, sweet as. Anyway, I do the show. The community laugh and cry, and they speak from the heart. And, and that, in the first, so I'll just go back a little bit. In the first five minutes of Shopro, Shopro is very hilarious before it starts to put in the medicine. Then it gets to the heart. So in the first five minutes, the community are laughing, except for that big cousin of mine who is on the piss. He's just on it. He is not laughing. He storms out. He doesn't leave, he doesn't leave the venue. He sits in the doorway and he just keeps drinking alcohol. And he can still hear the show. He's, yeah, he's watching it yeah, okay. in the doorway, hearing it, seeing it. And I think, oh, sweet is, because he's just a bit upset about something. Anyway, I finished the show. The community, once again, they share from the heart. Tame Iti, amazing rangatira for Tsuhoi on my mother's side. Uh, he closes it with a beautiful whaikorero and karakia prayer and I send my team home I say I'm staying with the cousins when the last person left that night that cousin who's still on the piss smashed the shit out of me he beat me up so badly I had to cancel the last two shows my face was a mess and um, I suppose from that day on uh, it made me realize when I do shop row there's no alcohol before during or after even if I'm doing a rugby club soccer club where sporting people like to have an ale I was like no more because I didn't see that coming because he was smiling at me the whole night mm. and so from that experience from being traumatised again my face was a mess I'll, tell, I'll share this with our viewers because I share it in shop bros um, my team went let's get the hell out of here let's get far away from here and I was my face my, my eye is out here my Shit. face is a mess um and I say to them, hey, we've still got the Wellington Theatre Awards in five days. We should turn up to that. Because <laughs> we were nominated for Shop Row. Oh. And they looked at me, bro. They looked at me like, you have lost your shit. What the hell are you talking about? Look at you. Look at your ugly face. And then, uh, Sunglasses, bro. Yeah, the, oh, but the eye was out there at the time. So it was traumatic for... they. I'll tell you this other thing oh, I, I, I don't share often. Is like, I was attempting the next day. I thought maybe I can still do that show. And they said, we're trying not to cry looking at you. And we know you. People looking at you will just be traumatized. And then I looked in the mirror and I was like, ah! <laughs> I looked in the mirror. I didn't realize how bad I looked. I was like, a mess. And so... Um, Have you spoken to that cousin since? Oh, yeah. We ended up meeting. Mm. We ended up meeting last year. Right. And I, when did this happen? So this was 2017, 2018. Okay. 2018. 2018. I think it was about then. And um, <laughs> so, yeah. So we go to the Wellington Theatre Awards. My eye had come down after five days, but it was just black and purple around my face. And I had, like you said, I just put some Sorry. sunnies on. And I got dressed up. My team were all dressed up. And I said, look, if we win tonight, I'll take my sunnies off. <laughs> 
and bro we won it was like ah! so we all go up to the podium we accept the award and i take my sunnies off and like i said it's purple and black around my face and i say to the whole audience very well-dressed audience i said this is my point to my face this is what happens when you don't deal with your shit you inflict it on others. And everyone is just like, ooh, yes, ooh, it looks ugly. Anyway, as I walk off, you know James Nokise? No. James no. Nokise, Samoan comedian, very good friend of mine. He was the MC of the evening. As, as I was walking off with my team, the award, feeling good, he comes up to the podium and he goes, let that be a lesson to you. If your work is not powerful like Rob's, you're not getting a punch in the face like him. Kelda. <laughs> You know, I, I, I was like, what? And then I just started laughing. And um, I started laughing and I was like, yeah. And because it was only, it was only love. He was, you know, yeah. he was making a joke, but there was love in that. Yeah. But I was like, yeah. And I know him. And I, I, told, I told him, like, when I started doing Shopper, I said, James, sir, I'm actually quoting you in Shopper all around the country now <laughs> in Australia. And he's from when? I said, remember that time? And he's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And he's fine with it. Oh, mate, that's one hell of a story. I know, bro. Shit. So we just, so when I'm going into tough prisons, it's you know, obviously there's no alcohol there or mm. tough communities. I just make sure that's number one. And there's no alcohol around this. Mm. And because uh, this, as much as you're laughing and crying, mm. there's some unresolved stuff that might pop, might, might pop up. And alcohol and drugs accentuate the trauma times 100. Mm. Wow. I've never been punched in the face like that. <laughs> It was multiple, mate. Yeah, I got. Yeah. I was like, I thought I was in a, in a cage in UFC. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks to somebody getting Tame Itzi, Tame, who's the rangatira of Tuhoi, one of our rangatira, mm. little five foot, not very tall, but he is his mana is seven feet tall. And thanks to him yelling, yelling at that cousin of mine, Shit. and managed to get him outside because we're fighting in, in a in a caravan. So fighting in a caravan. So you want to talk about UFC cage? It was very small, bro. <laughs> I don't think they do UFC caravan fight. <laughs> <laughs> so, bro, I was KO'd on the ground. Just get hammered. Shit. Bro, it was just a big unit. So what was it like when you met up with him? I So uh, I made this conscious decision mm. to forgive him so I could start healing. Mentally, physically, spiritually. And my auntie, who's a spiritual leader who's passed away recently, she said to me, I'm not sure if she meant physical, but she says, if anybody tries to put anything on you, spiritually or mentally, you know, bad vibes, um, dark stuff, just go neutral. And I don't think she meant getting punched in the face over and over and over again, multiple head hit trauma but um i thought i'm gonna try and adopt that mm. while i was because people were putting ice packs all over my face to try and get the eye down um uh, and then I, I forgave him and it took a long so it helped with my healing so by the time i did see him which was it i didn't go seeking him i thought if we bump into each other i only want to i only want a genuine conversation that he's gone and got some help right because some of our cousins said hey he just wants to apologize can you meet him i was like mm. i ain't saying shit until he does some work on himself because yeah. no matter what comes out of his mouth and i said to him he's not going to fully take it on board so we meet we're at a cafe check the setting i'm with my tough uh ngapuhi brother real good mate of mine it's his birthday we're having a beer and lunch at this cafe in front of me awesome 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 and opposite the table across the way is a is, is a maori male with a moko kanuhi and i he's not my cousin i just go oh give him a wave see a Maori I give him a wave and I, I get the menu and I sit back at the table I look again what I didn't see next to him was that cousin who's also got a moko and I was like how come I didn't see him shadows tanifa mm. anyway he mm. he hasn't said anything to me 
I thought he would have said something. So I, when I spotted him, I was like, be calm. My male testosterone, my Maori testosterone started to rise up. And I said, be calm. Remember, you forgave him. That's what I'm saying in my mind. And I'll share this. This is probably going to go everywhere. I, for a moment, because we're having a drink, I thought if I grab this bottle, I'm going to inflict some pain on him for what mm. he did to me. And then it was only for a moment. It was like fleeting. And I went, what are you talking about? You've done all this work on yourself, Rob, to get this far from being shot to that to this. Why would you throw that away? And I was like, yeah, why would I? I go, just because of one person who's not healed and put this shit on me. So this was in a span of five to a few seconds, bro. Thoughts go so like, far. Yep. And so... I went over to him and he, he stood up. He was very nervous. And it looked like his own demon was eating him from the inside. Mm. So he, from the pit bull I met, looked more like a ragged, ragged, rabid dog. Yeah. I went, oh, well, it's already working against his favor. And uh, it was very awkward. He was awkward. And I said, I was wondering when I was going to see you, cousin. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Oh, yeah, I used to drink, but now I don't drink. And now I do these things. And I was like, oh, yeah. I started walking towards him. I was only going to hug him. But he thought I was going to do, oh, he thought we are going to get down mm. and get down to physical. But he freaked out when I hugged him. He looked at me like, is this a trick? And I hugged him. And I went, killed him, my cousin. Long time. And that's it. I just let go. He, he was real awkward. I sat down next to my mate. I didn't even tell them who that guy was. We just ate our lunch, and a few minutes later, they just left without a word. Wow. So it's like laying to, to rest some old ghosts and realized I had traveled so far from my upbringing, mm. so far from that to, to go, hey, man, this shit is not worth it. Mm. I'm healed. Why would I want to go back to, to where he's at? Wow. <laughs> the big journey, bro. That's told a me, story, man. Took a, a, took a lot of willpower, and um, I was with you like through every step yeah. of you walking towards him. It's a it's a powerful story. Yeah. Um, when it did happen initially, like how how did this happen? Did he just not like the show, or did this bring up stuff for him, or what was what was he so mad about? So, um, he he thinks he's somebody in the community. Right. So he thinks he's sure. the man. Sure. And he's there to help the community, um, and he's going around pretending he's a healer. But you well. were taking the limelight. Yeah, but of that, but also, yeah. so there were little telltale signs. Me and my team, we, me and my team, we unpacked this a lot over a period of time. Of how did we fall into that situation? Mm. How do we stay out of anything like that ever again? And even if your family, yes. sometimes the worst. Yeah. Um, and he was jealous, and also he was trying to hide his demons with more alcohol. That's why he was guzzling so much. He thought, if I just drink this, it will just stop. But it did the opposite. Yes. And also, he was jealous of the community. Uh, he was jealous of another cousin giving me attention. Okay. Like, well, you're awesome cousin. Look at our amazing cousin. I was like, okay, no one's the best except for me. And I didn't realize that he was so alcohol-fueled by that time. I had no idea how drunk he was. Yes. No idea. Sure. And I'd only met him that morning. I just knew we were cousins through my yeah. mother. So I was like, man, he's a top fella. This is the thing. You never know where people are in their own journeys in life. And you can never understand. You never know like what sort of day they've had. And also, like at the level that he was at, already intoxicated, all these little things would have just culminated together, built yeah. and built. You would have no idea. You would have no idea. I'm sure this happens a lot. Yeah. But you'd have no idea. But all these things just building, building, building. And then to that point where he's just like, I'm going to fucking kick his ass. Oh, totally. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's why we made sure from then on in. 
No matter if you're like whoever rugby club, whoever football club, zero alcohol around this. Mm. Even though we're going to have, I've been to international theatre festivals where I forgot to tell them no alcohol, and I've asked them to shut the bar. Right. You know, people go, "Wow, you turn up to festivals. Oh, we're going to have a drink and have some wine, and yeah, it's going to be great." And I said, "Can you shut that bar?" And I told them why. And then another person who came up to me later went, "You know, Rob, that was a great point you said in your show because I started to think, why did I need the champagne when we're actually addressing mental health and suicide prevention?" Sure. And I said, "I said, well, that's a question for yourself." Yeah. Far out, man. Some pretty, some pretty heavy stuff, but also some pretty real stuff as well. Yeah. Um, and these stories, man, they, they're so strong. They're so powerful because um, they're so real. Yeah. Yeah, and, and within all of this, you know, all of this learning is I just keep going to the light, keep mm. going to aroha, compassion. Mm. And the and big, biggest one is having that aroha and compassion for myself. I've still got to forgive myself mm. for, for stuff that's happened to me. You know, you say forgive the person who did that thing to you. You've got to forgive yourself as well. Yes. And that's a part of my healing, which is an ongoing thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it must be, um, do you feel quite, does, is it quite a satisfying feeling um, touring around? And once you get each show done, it must be quite a feeling of satisfaction. Because it's not just a show that you're putting out there. It's a whole... Um, it's experience, brother. Yeah. It's so much different to just going and seeing a show and then you go home. Yeah. You know, you go in there and you're engaging, but you're thinking as well about everything to do with you because you're identifying it back onto yourself and what I've been through and how does this relate to me and, and how do I feel about that? All of that. Yeah, it's incredibly satisfying. And I say this to every community or most communities, just because I've seen a lot of shrinks, it doesn't mean I am one. Sure. But the fact is from a lived experience, I've been gaining a lot of knowledge and tools just to share. Mm. And sometimes I have social workers and therapists alongside me. Sometimes just me and my cousin, who's actually a social worker anyway. But the f- it's satisfying to me because all I see is versions of Rob yes. back in the day. Versions. I've made this platform so sore. With my director, Edna Daniels, we made this together. So someone who was like suicidal Rob in 2009 would know that it's okay. That you are not alone. Don't do this thing. Don't go and do it. Do not do this thing. That someone can actually see you. So when I see people speak, especially males, wahine are always brave. Our women, they are always brave. All cultures, women are the bravest. And when I see... That's so true. When, yeah. That's and, so true. And when I see men finally stand up and speak, I go, oh, there's a brother with so much guts and heart and courage because I used to be that person. Mm. I would never, ever in a lifetime stand, stand up and reveal anything. Because that's how I was taught to be. Right. So it is extremely satisfying that we've put pockets of hope and light as a collaboration with the community. Hmm. Man, I just love everything about this talk. This is uh, so I find it so inspiring, and so um, there's so much light in you that's coming out, uh, which is such a beautiful thing. And I really hope that like um, this this message that you've got, which is such a positive message, you know, it it's gonna. Um, it's going to heal a lot of families. I hope know? so. And that's such a strong thing as an artist to be able to contribute, um, not just to your audience, but to your community, which is even more important than an audience because it filters through into like their people's lives. It's almost like a, a gift that has no value. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks. I'll pinch that. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, and brother, I'd like to uh, acknowledge you because of the journey you've been on and just to be here right now as men, as brothers, and uh, I'm proud of you. I've been watching you from afar, 
proud of you, bro. Thank you. And, and, and thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. It's all good. I was really it's grateful yeah. and providing platforms yeah. for people like us. Yeah. Um, it's, no, I, it was always so important for me to try and get someone on like you on. And also because your message as well and your journey over the last few years. Because um, I, I, I can only relate things as I see them myself or for what I've gone through, you know. And having gone through some of the dark stuff, I don't, not necessarily to, like, to the degree that you've been on, on it, but also but at varying degrees of darkness, yeah. I guess it is, you know. And it always, um, for me, it's, it's brought me down. I've had moments where I've been very, very down. Uh, but because I've been to so, such dips as well, I also know that there's light. Yeah. Because to me, that's how I make sense of it in my mind. If there's darkness, there's light. And as dark as you can go, there must be light that is so much brighter than you can see. Um, but I understand, you know, when I ask you, like, is there peace looking back on it? I can understand when you say that um, it's, a, it's an ongoing journey because you don't know, we don't know what tomorrow holds. Yeah. Because things could all change tomorrow. Um, yeah. Oh, it's deep, bro. I'm loving that. It's very profound, and and I'm relating to everything you just said. Yeah, um, as a obviously because um, your background is as an actor, and you're a pretty good writer by now <laughs> for writing shop, bro. Um, is there other stuff that you want to branch out to, or are you pretty passionate about what you currently do at the moment? I'm pretty passionate about what I currently do. I um I dabble back in the in the TV world mm. with our, our, our brother Tikohi yes. uh, for Deadlands, which was a TV series. And I dabbled in that and I went, this is really cool. Mm. These are my mates. What a, what a blessing. Mm. But it doesn't hold a candle to, to what I'm doing because mental health is ongoing for me and I need to address it. And I like to have spaces where people are willing to address it. Not every space is willing to. Yes. And, and I suppose I'm choosing projects. I did a short film with somebody in Wellington yeah. Didn't have much money, but the main thing is the heart of it. Yes. And, and, and I read it because people send me lots of scripts, bro, yeah. still. And I go, no, no, no. Oh, this one's got some healing properties in it. Right. I mean, they're dabbling in the dark, mm. but the overall resounding theme is hope. Mm. And I went, oh, yeah. So I went to Wellington to this beautiful short film with these amazing heartfelt people. I went, oh, yeah, I'll come back to the industry if it's like this. Mm. If we have a genuine setting where we're going to acknowledge we're about, what we're about to address mm. and make sure that everyone is treated in a compassionate, humane way instead of treated like, you know, a lesser human being. So th- I've got some hang-ups about the uh, entertainment industry. That's my, that's my hang-up. I think we all do have some, <laughs> <laughs> some little hang-ups about the art industry. Yes, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, see, I've sort of distanced a little bit away from it and that I have my own hang-ups about it and I'm quite picky about what I do want to do and what I don't want to do, the sort of message that it does give out. Um, I'm quite passionate about our Pacific Island and Māori people and about telling their stories and giving them a platform to be heard. Uh, because, And also, to me, this is quite important as well. This setup is quite important to me because this is unproduced, this is unfiltered, this is almost unedited as well. This whole thing is going to go. Because when else are you going to sit down with someone else that's going to ask you about all these things, Rob, and not cut it all down to three minutes? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. And stuff that. Yeah. Because like everything that you've spoken about, all these stories that you've spoken about are so important and they're so relatable, but I don't want them to be cut down. And so I was like, the only way to do this is just go direct, do it myself. Yeah, and I'm loving it. Just shoot in my garage. Hey, hey, I'll tell you what, I thought it was a real flash setup. I was like, wow, wow, wow look yeah. at the studio. And, yeah. I, and I, I love how you've, you've just taken this initiative to create this platform. We need more like this. Thank you. I have an amazing wife that supports this, that yes. is the brains, probably the brains behind this, you know, but I couldn't do it without her. 
but just the two of us just being able to like just think how can we simplify something so simple and just take it out to the world the way we want the world to see it rather than it being produced rather than it being filtered or like um, or some guy saying oh we cut this out nah 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 it's not enough time for him to say all of that stuff cut it all out like I want to be in charge of the stuff that we put out for our Maori and Pacific Island people because the story is so important and the feedback that we get as well is amazing people um, people feedback to this and they're like never knew this about that never knew never knew so and so spoke like this never knew um, about mental health or about I never knew that it was okay to talk about this and Sometimes when I get certain bits of feedback, it makes it worth mm. the whole thing. You yeah. know? And I'm sure you can um, understand as well, like, especially like if you're exhausted from traveling to a location and set up everything and after planning the whole show and prepping for it and you do it, and then you might think, oh, it was okay, it was okay, I could have done this a bit better, done that a bit better, but you might have that one person that's affected in the right way that you wanted to makes the whole thing worth it. Yeah, uh, like we're very similar in the sense that we're coming with an intention, right? Yes. And the intention is strong. I felt it from watching, um, you know, Beulah and you interviewed Kevin yeah. Mialamu. I was like, yeah, the intention's strong because yeah. I can feel it. Yeah. The Modi, the life force, and and you, bro, you're living and walking and talking and breathing it too. So if it wasn't for you, it wouldn't be like this, this podcast. Yeah, I, I, I felt very strongly about this. This was like probably in second, Auckland's second lockdown last year that there was, we were missing something like a podcast that was driven from a place of like sharing positive stories to try and uplift people that might be going through something. I just felt that there was a gap missing um, and that if I had people on that had a message and people come from different walks of life, they're I had a school teacher on last week. She was amazing from yeah. Wapanoni. She was awesome. Um, but I've had such different people on. I had a detective on the week before that. Um, if, if we can get their message or like their story or their journey out, that somehow there's people out there that it touches, that it inspires, that it makes them think, hang on, that's a career I could do. Or hang on, I can change the way I think about this. You know. Um, so I'm going to ask you now, like um, for all the people listening in, for our brothers and sisters, that might be in like a dark place at the moment, might be in like a rough patch, going through a rough patch, and they can't see the light. What, what do you say to people like that, that are stuck in something that's, that's quite hard, that's, um, that feels like it's never ending? I'm just gonna talk how I needed to be spoken to. Breathe, you are loved, you are worth it. I don't care what their voice is saying inside your head, you are goddamn worth it, and you are loved. And just keep breathing and reach out for help. And if that person can't help you, find another one. If that person, find another one. Because those who can't help or don't want to are also scared, so don't worry. Just keep breathing. You're goddamn worth it. And you uh, you don't know me. I don't know you. But I love you, man, because someone might not have told you that before. As a male, I can't remember my dad telling me he loved me. Uh, except maybe when I was in hospital. I'm going to that now, and I, I I didn't realize how much I needed to hear that. So to our to our our, our strong women, our strong men, and all backgrounds, you are loved. No, I don't care what that voice tells you. Just remember that, and it's hard to. Rob Mokaraka, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, brother. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, brother. Much love to you and your family, and thank you for creating this platform. Thank you, bro. I'm gonna get you back on at some point. I am. I'm uh, grateful. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye, everybody. It's in that mic called Mike. Yeah. It's yes. in that mic called Mike. Beautiful. Yeah, Garage Drinks with Mike. Woo!